The following teaching is brought to you by Crosspoint Church. For sermon notes and other resources, visit go to crosspoint.com. Any uh, WWE fans out there? UFC fighting kind of fans? Four of you? Oh, this is going to go well. Um, <laughs> back in the day, I would watch wrestling stuff, and I know it was fake, and, but then you talk to the guys that really did it and said, well, let me go beat you in the head with the chair and see how fake this is for you. But uh, back in the day, these guys, Hulk Hogan, Randy, Macho Man Savage, uh, right down the street we had a guy, a UFC fighter, Dan Henderson's gym is right down the street here. These guys, are, they have, there's a whole different dimension to these kind of guys that are willing to get smacked in the face with a, a knee or a foot or a fist, beat down like crazy. This is the kind of guy we're talking about when we talk about this guy named John the Baptist, who we just read about. John was an interesting cat, man. He was, he was raised in a privileged home. He was the son of the high priest. Now, that doesn't mean much to you and I in this day. You're the, not just a priest, junior, the chief priest of the whole country. He's that guy's son. Money, wealth, privilege, education, Every opportunity would be open to him. And at some point he said, I'm not doing that because God has called me to do something. He went out to the wilderness and he wore, <laughs> this is why this guy's crazy, he wore clothes made out of camel's hair. Now, anybody ever been around a camel? Seen a camel? Yeah. Camel hair, not nice linen, cotton, nasty, gnarly, and camels stink. So stinky, nasty, uncomfortable clothes. And I guess he was a vegan or vegetarian. I'm not sure what the laws and rules are on that, what, that's, what, what's that, what that means anymore. But he said he, he ate locusts dipped in honey. And I think, well, of course you'd have to dip them in honey because locusts, they're like cockroaches, like grass, like nasty, nasty kind of stuff. And he would eat those kind of things. And he would go out there and he had a message. He said, hey, listen to me. And he wasn't like some quiet little demure pastor was sipping a latte saying, hey, come on, let's have a Bible study. Let's get right with God. He screamed and yelled at people. He called out the, the Roman authorities. He called out the Jewish authorities. He called out the, the, the religious authorities. He called out the people of Israel and said, you think you're right with God? You need to repent and turn around. Not the Gentiles need to repent. You insiders who think you're all part of God's people right now, you are outside. You need to get in on this. And people went out by the thousands to see him because he was kind of a freak show. Even if you were all interested in his message, it was like, did you hear about that guy out there? We had to go see that. He's a freak of nature out there. By the thousands they went at, and as he went out there, people got right with God. He said, you need to get baptized. Now, we hear baptism. We have our little baptism pool kind of thing over here, and people get baptized here all the time. Uh, when they got baptized back then, you would have these baptism ceremonies in their, in their uh, synagogues, in their temple. They had big formal baptismal pools and that kind of thing. John said, you don't have to do that. We're going to baptize you in this nasty Jordan River. Get baptized right here right now. Do not delay. Uh, it's, it's kind of interesting. Uh, Shane, uh, a guy at our church here, just went on a missions trip over to Tanzania with his son and was involved in discipleship and church planting, all that kind of stuff. Did some message and training for this fledgling congregation on what it meant to follow Christ and get baptized. They baptized 22 people. One lady walked from 10 miles away to get baptized. That's awesome. Beautiful and amazing. And some of you are going, well, I'm not sure about that because if I'm in front of people, shut up and get in the water. 
if you're a Christian, it's time for you to get baptized. If you know that you're a Christian or if you want to become a Christian, on your connection card, Beth, you fill out. Let's talk about that. So he's becoming wildly popular. And everybody thinks, who's part of the Jewish culture back then, we go, is he, Matrix fans, watch out, the one. Four of you get that. The one. Are you the one? Because they had in their deal, this deal, this like this Messiah was going to come, this this leader that was going to be spiritual and yet military and powerful and political, and he was going to be the one that was going to restore God's kingdom to the earth through the people of Israel, rising up and taking their rightful place as the head of nations. And John over and over again said, I am not the one. I am a voice crying in the wilderness. He quoted from the book of Malachi. Malachi said, there's one who's coming before the great day of the Lord comes when the Messiah will come. The, the one who's going to come that's going to take, take care of everything for us. He's going to send a guy named Elijah. Not really Elijah, because they had a prophet Elijah back then that had lived and died and was gone. But another Elijah's coming. And he's going to say, prepare the way for the Lord. God is coming. Get ready. Repent. Let's go. And so, that, but he, they, he was so wildly popular, everybody thought, he's got to be the one. He's so crazy, wild, zany. And so, um, he said he's not the one. Flip over in your Bibles, you're here in Matthew. Go back to a little bit to the book of John, chapter 1. Uh, actually, to the right, to, not to the left. John, I should probably know that by now. Um, John, chapter 1. The book of John is not written by John the Baptist. It's written by another guy named John. But John, the ba- John talks about this guy named John the Baptist. And in the first chapter 1, he goes, hey, he's so popular. And the, the verses before this Hey, I'm not the one. I'm not the one. The one is coming. Look at, chapter, look, uh, look at verse 29. It says, The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he is the one. In your Bibles, your mobile devices, how are you doing it? Around that. He's the one. I was talking about when I said, A man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. Now, those of you who pay attention to biology and all that kind of stuff, John was born first. John is Jesus' cousin. John the Baptist was born first. So how could he say Jesus existed before me? Because he actually didn't. What this is, again, for people who tell you sometimes, well, the Bible never claims that Jesus is God right here. Right here, it's telling you that Jesus is God. He existed long before I was around. I didn't recognize him as the Messiah. Of course you didn't, because he's your cousin. You guys climbed trees and got in all kinds of shenanigans and did all kinds of crazy stuff as cousins running around Galilee. But I've been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. Quick little side note on that. The, the Holy Spirit isn't a bird. Holy Spirit isn't like a bird. He's talking about the idea. He said, one time I saw, nobody else saw this, but I saw God come out of heaven, the Spirit of God come in like a bird that kind of fluttered and land on him and indwell him. He said, I saw that happen. I didn't know he was the one, like before all that, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus. John had a dramatic vision from God. He says, so I testify that he is the chosen one. He is the chosen one of God. 
Uh, later on in John, it tells us that John's popularity starts to, to drop down some as Jesus bursts on the scene. And he doesn't have so many people coming out to see his deal anymore. People are going, aren't you freaked out about that, John? It's a bummer, man. Your, your thing is declining. He goes, oh, no, no, that's exi- this is why I came. And it's this beautiful line. Beautiful line where he says, he must become greater and I might become less. That'd be a great metaphor for your whole life. Just Jesus, make me less and make you greater. That's what he says about him. Uh, and so uh, at some point in Mark chapter 6, we're not going to read it, but he, uh, Herod is the Jewish king of Israel. The Romans ruled over the, the world, but they oftentimes, in most places where they ruled, set up little puppet empires. They let the nationals kind of rule their people because they understood the culture, they understood the customs, understood the religions. So they would set up these kings under the authority of Rome, and Herod was the king. Herod decided, I'm bored. I got all this power and money. I like my brother Philip's wife. I think she's hot. So he took her. Made her get divorced from Philip and took her for his own. John hears about it and goes, oh, no, you didn't, pal. And starts screaming and yelling about all this kind of stuff. And Herodias, the, the wife who he, Herod stole from Philip, gets mad and goes, I'm sick and tired of that guy. You need to throw him. It just nags and nags and nags. There's a famous several verses in Proverbs that, that says this, like a, a dripping faucet, So is the nagging of a contentious woman. I'm just the mailman. I didn't write it. It's in the Bible. This is what happens with Herod. She just nags and drip and drip. And, and so fine, I'll arrest him. Just quit bugging me. And so he has him arrested. He's thrown in jail. You'll see over here we have our little, um, this is a strange but true series. We have little icons of the strange but true exhibits from these stories. Over here we have a uh, a replica kind of of a jail cell over here, representing this story today, that John gets thrown into jail. And then he's in jail for a while. We don't know, don't know for sure how long, but what Beth just read for us is after he's been there a while, he is hearing about everything Jesus is doing. And remember what John said about Jesus? He is the one. Absolutely he is the one. And yet, He's in prison, and he sends a message to Jesus, go, are you really the one? This is what's going to happen for you and I sometimes. On your journey of discovering and following Jesus, you'll be convinced and a little confused from time to time. And if a guy like John, if a guy like John could doubt that he's the one, remember, he saw God come out of heaven and go, and God had spoken to him. So when you see the, that happen, that's the one. And yet even he goes, I, maybe I missed something. Maybe it was pizza that I had. Maybe, are you really the one? Or is there someone else? Doubts and questions are going to enter into our journey all the time. Having doubts and questions is not a problem. If John has doubts and questions, you're, you and I are going to have doubts and questions. Uh, and, and why he's doubting Jesus right now He is not one of these spoiled brat preschool little Christian guys that goes, how come I don't have a wife? How come I don't have any kids? How come I can't get a house? How come my 401k isn't fully funded? What's my pension thing going to be? Gosh, I sell these people that got to go on the, the whole world's going on vacation right now. I'm going to go on vacation. He's not whining about any of that. You know what he wants to do? All he wants to do is obey and serve Jesus. That's all he wants to do. And he's seeing 
and hearing that Jesus is doing all kinds of miracles for people that don't deserve it. There's people out there like, I know some of those guys you do miracles for. Like Roman soldiers who are terrorizing the Jewish community. Jesus does miracles for those guys. He's going, I think what he's thinking is, hey, um, over here, over here in prison, all I've done is faithfully serve you. Shouldn't I maybe get something? How come them and not me? Ever been there in your life? You see people, (laughs) you're praying about something with your health, with your finances, with your kids, and you look at them and go, okay, their kids are all turning out great and doing great. How come my kids? How come my money? How come, how come, God? Because it doesn't feel like you're paying attention to me at all over here, and all I'm doing is trying to serve you. And so John would be there in prison, and it would be reasonable because he's been to church. He's heard the worship songs. We have one. We're not going to do it this weekend because uh, we're going to completely dismantle it right now for you. Uh, we have a song we call, call I'm Going to See a Victory. And you can imagine John now. He's in the prison. He's hearing about Jesus. And the, and the lyrics are, the weapon may be formed, but it won't prosper. But what if it is? When the darkness fails, it won't prevail, but it's awfully dark in this prison. Not just physically dark, but it's getting darker and darker in terms of his mental, emotional, spiritual climate that he finds himself in. Because the God I serve knows only how to triumph. My God will never fail. My God will never fail. But what if he is right now? What if he's not coming through for you? And this is what John said. And then they go get the chorus. All right. But okay, maybe it's coming. I'm going to see a victory. I'm going to see a victory for the battle belongs to you, Lord. I'm going to see a victory. And the I'm going to see a victory moves to, am I going to see a victory? Well, why am I not seeing a victory? And you might even get to a point of going, forget it. I'm not going to see a victory. What's the point? You and me. Hmm. That's a story about John 2,000 years ago you and I face these same kind of challenges, probably not in an actual physical prison that that necessarily you'll be in, but there's going to be times you're going to feel like your life is in prison. And here's the deal. Jesus said this. He said, everybody, come to me. I've got abundant life, life to the full. There's a famous Christian organization, been around for a lot of years, and some of you became Christians and got discipled in your early days of your faith, and they had an opening line whenever I talked to people about God. They'd say, look, God loves you, and he has a wonderful plan for your life. And I think John would say, would you please redefine wonderful for me? Jesus, you said abundant life? I don't smell abundant anywhere around here. It's tricky, and it's difficult, and it's nasty. I don't know. Um, What about when I'm doing things right, and it's not working out for me? What's going to happen there from time to time is you're going to go, is this really the real deal? I came to church and I started I, the relationship with God and everybody said my life would get better in some ways, yeah, but in some ways it got a little more challenging. I, <laughs> I've talked to people, you know, the Financial Peace University, I got my finances together and okay, we're, t- take that dare that Stevie put up there, I'm going to start tithing. And some people go, I started tithing and look, man, God turned things around, it was beautiful and amazing. I know all kinds of people, so they started tithing, you know what happened? The next week their water heater went out. 
going, so what happened to the blessing, God? You said like, you would pour out blessings on me. There, there are situations, too, with I'm going to do counseling. I, I'm going to do some things with my marriage, with my job and my career. You're blessing people over here. And here's the crazy thing. You'll see people in jobs and careers in your company, perhaps, and you're really trying to honor God and how you do it, and yet you watch people that are just shameless Nimrod jerks prospering like crazy, and you're down here just kind of suffering and struggling along, and you're going, God, what, what's this doing here? I, I know I've talked to people who've done things like adoption and foster care. You know, they, they uh, on the videos and on the brochures, it's the, the Sarah McLaughlin soundtrack. In the arms, nobody's going to do it with me, of the angel, fly away from here. And to the, oh, it's just beautiful and amazing. And adopt these kids, and it's beautiful and fantastic and amazing. And I know all kinds of people in here who you've done the foster adopt thing going, hmm, hmm. Some of you thought, okay, we're going to have kids, and that'll do it. That'll complete us. <laughs> And, you, and look, you've done everything right. Here's the crazy thing, too, is you'll see, you'll see in your marriage, look, you, brought your, you raise your kids and you, you disciple them. You do bedtime prayers and you read Bible stories and you date nights with dad and you bring them to church. And you bring them to youth group and all that kind of stuff. And you see other parents over here that are just hot mess disasters. And their kids turn out okay and your kids are prodigal and making a mess out of things. You're going, what's, what's the point, God? You'll see people. I want to be careful here. Struggling with fertility, just wanting children so bad. And I've heard that journey from so many of you around here, just wanting a child so bad. And you would be, you're fantastic parents. You'd be so great at it. And you look around and you think, I see all these other parents out here. All they're doing is populating hell because they're just, they're disaster of parents. They're awful at that kind of thing. Like, God, what about me? What about us? We would do a great job with this. And you wonder, are you really the one or should I just look for someone Something else, guys, even here at the beginning of Crosspoint Church, in the first few years especially, <laughs> just, we were plodding along, doing okay, but I would look around at other churches here in the valley, and I knew a few of the backstories on some of these guys, some of these churches, and some of the leaders in some of those churches, and don't ask me which ones, I'm not going to tell you, it's none of your business, you have a problem with gossip, so just stop. Um, <laughs> But I would hear what they were, they're, they're, our church is kind of plodding along, 100, 125 people. And that's not, that's good, okay, whatever. But this church over here has several hundred people, several thousand people. And I knew who that guy and those people were. But God, how come? What good is it doing having integrity and leading well when you can just be a jerk and do all kinds of shady, nasty stuff, even blatant sin, and they're getting blessed like crazy? And you start to ask, See, this is the worst part. The worst part is when you see God blessing people way less deserving than you. And nobody would ever admit that, at least in a church. But you would think it over coffee on a Tuesday morning or Thursday night, on a Thursday afternoon on the way home in the two and a half hour commute back to town. Just going, how come them and not me? And when that happens, big questions come up. Here's a couple big questions for you today. What do we do when Jesus doesn't work? Now, a quick thing on that. As you write that down, I'm telling you right now, Jesus works. You follow Jesus and do life his way. I'm just telling you over and over again, God transforms lives and changes marriages and changes finances, does deliverance, does miracles, all kind of stuff. But from time to time, 
you're going to be like John in a situation, and in that situation, God is not answering your prayers, and you figure, it's not working right now. When that happens, there's this progression that kind of sets in. It's called the, the doubt, downward, downward spiral. It's be up on the screen all at once. The, the first part of it is just disappointment. When it doesn't come through, you get frustrated, disappointed. And then disappointment leads to discouragement. Discouragement leads to depression. And depression will lead you to despair. It happens over and over and over again. I'm letting you know that because some of you find yourself somewhere on that cycle today. Or you can look back to times in your life where you go, man, that was me. I didn't know what the heck was going on, and I was at a really dark, nasty place. Because what happens here, guys, is life bends exclamation marks into question marks. For John, remember John? I saw the Spirit come down. Are you the one? I am not the one. He's the one. And now it's a year later, and he's... Are you really the one? That's the next two questions here. Are you really the one? That's part of the questions that will come up from time to time with you and I. Are you really the one, God? This is the idea of even, okay, God, I know. Here's the hard part, too. We are not rational creatures. Everybody says you are rational creatures. Your, your freshman psychology classes told you all that. We are not rational creatures. We are completely irrational messes. All of us. We're emotional beings. They're just whatever. And so what happens here, like you can know stuff up here, but in all this in here, you start to wonder, God, I, I, I believe. I, I got saved. I'm Christian. I, are you really the one? And then there really is, even if you really are the one, the big question here, what John really is asking is, are you really worth it? Because you can be convinced of all the facts about Jesus, that he's God, that he rose from, died on the cross, he rose from the dead three days later, he proved he was who he said he was, so I get you're the one, but I'm not sure you're worth it. And so he asks those questions. He, a couple of his buddies visit him in prison, and he sends a message back to Jesus. He says, Jesus, are you the one, or is there something else, because it doesn't seem like it right now. And then Beth just read it, but I want to read it again. Look at what he says. It'll be up here on the screen. And I want you to pay careful attention right now to the list of things that Jesus says that, that are true about him. He says, look at this. Go back and tell John this. Remember John's question? Are you the one? They show up and go, here's what he told us. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. If I'm John, I'm going, that ain't the answer I was looking for. And in fact, John goes, look, I know all that. Remember, John said, I heard about all the things Jesus was doing. I already know all that. But what we have to do is climb back inside here and recognize that for John, there were some verses that he knew. Like John 3.16, probably half of us here could quote that by memory. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him won't perish, have eternal life. There's other verses like Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You just know it. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your understanding. And all your ways acknowledge him and direct your paths. The Lord is my shepherd. Shall not want. Makes me lay down in green pastures. All the, these are the things we could just know. Back in that culture, excuse me, back in that culture, there was some verses from Isaiah written 700 years before G, John and Jesus show up that were Isaiah saying, hey, when this Messiah comes, when the one comes, here's the thing he's going to do. Now, look at the list. 
We're going to go through here. These, this comes from Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 61. It says, He will open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like a deer, and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. That's the prophecy that Jesus quotes from. He kind of summarizes it all together, puts it together. Now go back and look at that, back at Matthew 11, 4 to 6 again. Look, remember, look at the list there. Were you paying attention? What's missing? The prisoners. Jesus intentionally leaves out the line that everybody would have known, that John would have known, and he leaves that out. No mention of captives being released and prisoners feed, freed. John hears the answer, and he's probably got to get confused. I don't know if you've ever read the Bible <laughs> or <laughs> sat in here and listened to me speaking. God, I have no idea what that guy's saying right now. You're in good company. You can be a disciple of Jesus when half the time you go, ah, I don't know. But he's going to hold on. I'm confused. I'm convinced, but it's just so frustrating right now. Um, he's holding on because he knows the stories. He knows the stories. And we know the stories of like David back a thousand years or so before. David was like in a prison. Like Saul, the king, tried to kill him a couple times, was hunting him down, had him cornered up in a cave and God freed him, God released him from that prison. And then flash forward, not flash back, we know from what's going to come for disciples of Jesus, Peter gets thrown in prison. And during the night, angels came. Angels came and got Peter out of prison and, and let him out to the street and take him, took him to the house where everybody's kind of hanging out. Uh, that happens. Paul and Silas get thrown in prison. They get whipped and beaten up, and they're shackled in a prison, and they start singing songs to God. I'm going to see a victory. Please, God. I don't know. Singing, and all of a sudden, there's an earthquake, and God releases them. That's, that's the story you want to hear. Like That's the answer. God's going to do something there. It's the, the just sing, and the earthquake will come and release you. It's the old school uh, gospel preacher said, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Just hold on. Your Sunday is coming. Let's see how it all ends up for John. Mark chapter 6. One book over to the right in your Bibles. In Mark chapter 6, let's see how Jesus comes through for him. This is awesome. Look at verse 21. Herodias, remember she's the one who doesn't like John and she wants to get rid of him. It says, Herodias' chance finally came on Herod's birthday. He gave a party for his high government officials, army officers, and the leading citizens of Galilee. Then his daughter, stepdaughter actually, also named Herodias, came in and performed a dance that greatly pleased Herod and his guests. Guys, this is not a choreographed, beautiful dance to some ballet thing. This is guys drunk out of their minds, and the girl comes in and does some kind of really sketchy, sensuous dance there. Ask me for anything you like, the king, drunk out of his mind, lusting after his stepdaughter, said to the girl, and I'll give it to you. He even vowed, I'll give you whatever you ask up to half my kingdom. She went out and asked her mom, what should I ask for? Her mother told her, ask for the head of John the Baptist. So the girl hurried back to the king and told him, I want the head of John the Baptist right now on a tray. And God smote the king, Herod, and his officials. 
and demolished the palace. For the oh, not in your Bible either, huh? Then the king deeply regretted what he had said, but because of the vows he had made in front of his guests, he couldn't refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner to the prison to cut off John's head and bring it to him. The soldier beheaded John in the prison, brought his head on a tray, and gave it to the girl who took it to her mother. That's how Jesus is going to reward crazy faithfulness to him. A terrible king with an awful wife, and you end your life unceremoniously, your head just cut off in a prison. No breakthrough, no nothing. That's how it turns out. And that's why in Matthew 11, in Matthew 11, it tells us that after Jesus tells him, Go tell him all the things you say, you've heard and seen what Beth just read for us, it says in verse 6, and God blesses those who don't fall away on account of me. Now, when I hear about people falling away and backsliding, some of you have, have T-shirts of the falling away and backsliding stuff. You walk with God for a while, and then you did some stupid wrong stuff, and whatever, you, you fall away because of sin and stupidity. Sometimes it's because of, of things like, well, I just, money and power and my career, and my, I just got all, all wrapped up into that, and I kind of fell away and slid away from my faith, Jesus is going to tell you today that it's possible to walk away from Jesus because of Jesus. And that's tricky because what we're supposed to tell you here is, hey, some of you are going, I finally got my friends or my family to come to church today. You're telling them, uh, Jesus isn't really worth it. What, what the heck is going on here, guys? We have, we have to be careful with this. Um, When Jesus doesn't meet our expectations, what do we do when Jesus doesn't work? And I would love to resolve all this for you, but it all turns out right. Just hang on, hang on. It will, it will get there for you. Uh, you may not get out of the prison of infertility or awful marriage. Your kids... You may never turn around. You, and you have things in your brain right now. Maybe the job never comes. Maybe the dream never comes of what you, you dream and hope for. Because John is there in prison, and Jesus sends the message back, and you can sum it up this way. John, Jesus says to John, I am the one, and you're going to die in prison anyway. Maybe the answer for us today is to, to modernize this for us today. I am the one, and God might not come through for you in the way you want him to. In the way you want him to. And you're going, well, what is this? And guys, just stay with me here, because this is where we're going to move from this being such a heavy, like, guy, it's already hot outside, and now I'm depressed. You know, like, come on. Um, there's a famous song. We're going to sing it today called It Is Well With My Soul. Um, and I, I love the song, got a beautiful melody to it, but uh, I think sometimes, remember the, the Sounds of Silence and Disturbed did a version of it that was way better than Simon and Garfunkel's? Because there was like, da-da-da-da-da-da, and it, ah, da, 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 da. you know, they did that kind of thing. This is how When It Is Well With My Soul ought to be done, the lyrics and the, and the, and the, and the style of it, because it's when peace, like a river, 
attendeth my way. Smooth. Or when sorrows like sea billows roll. And it's interesting because the guy that writes this song, his name is Horatio Spafford. Six months before he writes that song, he receives a telegram from his wife who he had sent across the ocean on a ship to cross the ocean to go. Uh, he had to stay back, back at home for business. And he receives a telegram that says, saved alone. The ship had a shipwreck. The wife was saved, but their three daughters died a horrifying, terrifying death, drowned in the ocean. But he comes across the ocean on that boat, and the ship's captain says, sir, it was probably right about here somewhere. If you want a moment here, you know, you maybe want that moment to just grieve, whatever. And it's at that moment he writes this song. When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, you've taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. Wasn't well with his life. Wasn't well with his mind. Wasn't well with his body. It was well with his soul. There's another song we're going to sing today. Lyrics will be here on the screen. It says, even when my strength is lost, I'll praise you. Even when I have no song, I'll praise you. Even when it's hard to find the words, I will only sing your praise. And that's beautiful to sing when life is going great. What about when life is just, ugh. Even when the fight seems lost, I'll praise you. Even when it hurts like hell, I'll praise you. Even when it makes no sense to sing, louder than I'll sing, you, sing your praise. And I go, guys, I know for some of you today, you're going, I don't know how I do that right now. This is the, the deal. Like, it's not well with your life. It's not well with all kinds of questions and issues you might have going on. And maybe it's the song today is not, it is well with my soul. Is, is it well with my soul? Because it doesn't feel like it. In Matthew 11, Jesus says a few more things. And look at verse 11. He says this, I tell you the truth, of all who ever lived, None is greater than John the Baptist. Yet, even the least person, not the greatest person in God's kingdom, the least people in God's kingdom are greater than he is. You know why he says John's the greatest? He says, John served me faithfully and followed me and nothing. He got nothing for it. All he got was punishment and trials and difficulty. See, when, we, uh, when you go to conferences, where, you, where a band's going to play somewhere and they're going to bring up people to tell their story. We've done it here even. Here's the story that sells tickets and gets people all jacked up about Jesus. It's this. My life was in hell. It was awful. It was terrifying. It was nasty. I was a mess. I was an addict. I was all this kind of stuff. And then, man, I met Jesus and he turned my life around. It was awesome and beautiful and amazing. And, hmm. Lots of businesses, lots of spiritualities and religions can sell you that. The self-help section in Amazon and in your bookstores, that's the biggest place because they're saying, do it our way. Every religion does this. Every philosophy does this. Podcasts are out there like, just do it our way and we can turn your life around and give you everything you ever wanted. But you know who changed the world? Who transformed the world? 
it was a bunch of Christians. There was probably 70 or 80 of them when it got started. They're sitting in an upper room, terrified out of their minds, going, what in the world just happened? We've seen Jesus and he's alive, but what in the world is going to happen? And you know who changed the world? Not one of those people did their circumstances get better for them. None of them. In fact, Jesus even tells us this. It's not even going to be, how much time do I have? I have a bit here. Jesus over and over again says, hey, I've got life and life to the full. Come follow me. And if you follow me, persecution, hardship, difficulty are coming your way. I'm going, is he bipolar? Like, which, which one of those is true, Jesus? Come on. And maybe we have to redefine what abundant life and wonderful life means. Because here's the deal. Everybody is going to go through situations where you feel like you're in prison. Where you feel like, man, it's awful and it's terrible. My marriage, my finances, my kids. It's going to feel like that. Everybody, whether you're Christian or not, what the promise is that Jesus makes is, I'll meet you in the prison. As opposed to just staying by yourself and hoping that somehow the circumstances are going to change or that you're going to get, win the lottery or that your ex or your current or your kids are going to have this dramatic turnaround. All your hope is in things that are never going to do it for them. If you ever put your hope in people, it'll never happen. And Jesus says, trust me, I'll be with you. And it's people who change the world. Guys, you realize there were 80 people when Jesus leaves in the year one or 30 or whatever it was when Jesus leaves. 300 years later, 350 million people are Christians. And the early Christians, not there might have been a few people out there where things went well for them. Almost all of them suffered difficult stuff. Man, you can read it about it. Empires went out of their way to purposefully harass and kill and torture them only because they were Christians. They got nothing for following Jesus. And the only reason they followed Jesus, and here's the message today, is they followed Jesus because of Jesus, whether Jesus ever did anything for them or not. Jesus was so amazing. You go, look, we don't care. And you know what, what, the, what the world is looking for? Because the world's out there going, and what we try to do here is, is this, is this idea of follow Jesus and boom, everything gets better. What the world wants to say is everybody's promising that kind of stuff. What do you do when it doesn't get better? What do you do? And what they need to see is some Christians go, look, even if my life is completely awful in the toilet, in a prison, and it's nasty, and I end up getting my head chopped off and brought in front of a king, Jesus is amazing no matter what. That's the beautiful part about what this is all about. There's a famous book called uh, The Screwtape Letters by a guy named C.S. Lewis. He wrote Chronicles of Narnia, Mere Christianity, The Great Divorce. Everything C.S. Lewis has ever written, you should read it. It's so good. Um, but rather than the nonsense you're streaming on Netflix and Hulu right now, get a book out and read it. Come on. But in The Screwtape Letters, it's this fictionalized account not about demons, because we believe Satan and demons are real, but C.S. Lewis does it like this. He says, what if there's a senior demon called uh, Screwtape, and he's instructing a junior demon, a protege of his, on how to mess with God and God's people, how to dismantle God's kingdom, to get out there and make a mess out of everything. So he instructs them in all this kind of stuff you have to do to distract people, to get them to disobey God, to, to distract them from obeying Christ. And the quote there is on your note sheet. You can read it to yourself as I read it here. It's on the screen as well. One of the lines there says, Do not be deceived, Wormwood. This is screw tape talking. Our cause is never more in danger than when a human, no longer desiring, but still intending to do our enemy's will, looks round upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished and asks why he has been forsaken and still obeys. Satan trembles at that kind of stuff. 
Not this stupid stuff that's a prosperity gospel. Just love Jesus and boom, everything's going to go great for you. That's not how it works. Now, guys, I, just so you know, I vote for that. I'm praying that I pray and tithe and go to church. I want God to turn things around. And a lot of times he does, but there's going to be moments like this. Some of you are in one right now today. You're in prison. And you're wondering, is he really the one? Some of you know people who are in situations like this. Do not do the stupid thing. Just trust God and it'll get better. Because what if it doesn't? Then they're going to go, well, forget that. You lied to me. What if you can say, look, God will meet you in it no matter what. And no matter what, here's what I want you to get today. My whole hope and prayer for this today, we're not to burden you with, oh, gosh, following Jesus is going to be hard and difficult. What I want you to get in your soul, not in your mind and not in your emotions, but get it down into your guts of your soul that Jesus is amazing no matter if he ever answers a prayer for me again in my life. He's worth it. He's amazing. Our band's going to come up right now. We're going to sing some songs about that. Give you a chance to respond to this in some ways. And what's beautiful about this, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the, those who are persecuted because they're the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. There's coming a day for every single one of us. Remember Jesus says the least in the kingdom? Not the greatest, not the one who, great marriage, great finances, great kids, but what are the people who serve God and got nothing for it? The, the, the nameless people, the people who go, Pff, I don't even know why I'm sitting here anymore, Steve. There's coming a day on the other side of eternity after we cross over from this life to the next where there's rewards coming and people talk about crowns and streets of gold. I'm telling you, the most amazing reward you're going to get someday is Jesus is going to look you right in the face and says, Hey, Mike, well done, pal. You stayed with me no matter what. You didn't just bail out because life got difficult. That's, man, God's going, I, that just stokes me when I see that. Now, right now, you may not feel that approval of God. John, did you catch this? Jesus never even went and visited John in prison to pray with him. That's terrible. And yet John holds on to his faith no matter what. And so we're going to sing these songs today about this and, and wrestle with this in your soul. And let God inspire confidence that no matter what, he's worth it. Our prayer team is in the back of the house today, right back there in that back corner. If you came in today and you've got some stuff in your life, and you might, I know, because I know some of your stories, and there's capital S stuff in your life right now. Don't just carry that by yourself. Go pray with somebody about that. And sometimes the prayer is, God, deliver me. But even if you don't, give me the faith to trust you to hang on to you even when it makes no sense to sing. Give you a chance to receive communion today too. It's in the four corners of the room. It's bread and juice. It symbolizes the body and the blood of Jesus. And here's what's beautiful about that today. When you look at your circumstances right now, and I can't even make full eye contact with some of you right now because I know the hell you're in right now. And you wonder, where is God? Does God love me? You gotta get your eyes off your circumstances right now and get your eyes on the cross because the one thing you can never escape is the Son of God loved you and gave himself for you when you were in rebellion against him. And so that's why we celebrate communion today. God, today, even when it makes no sense to sing, louder now we will sing your praise. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. For more resources, check out go to crosspoint.com.